Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, we've got uh, something that we've been talking about for quite a while now. Um, I know that we, in uh, I think it was our self-driving cars from CES episode, we hinted that um, I had I had received a, a book for Christmas that was of, uh, of automotive legends and mysteries and myths, and and I've got that book sitting in front of me right now. And we had said that we wanted to talk about a couple of different stories in this thing, if not every story that's in this book, and uh, we're going to hit one of those today. Yes, uh, from the book Automotive Mysteries, Myths, and Rumors Revealed. Revealed. Wow, that was my rural juror moment. Close enough. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about a car that some people may not have heard of, the Norseman. Yeah, that's right. This is a uh, there's a good reason why a lot of people may not have heard about this thing because it wasn't around for too long. Um, there's there's an entire legend uh, around this thing, and and just to I guess just to uh, kind of point out how this book is laid out that we're that we're following sure. here for this information. We've gone elsewhere for info as well, but uh, this really lays it out cleanly and concisely. This book does. Um, the legend is, and it'll wrap up with uh, you know the verdict at the end. Um, but the Norseman um, legend is that uh, it's a famous Chrysler concept car that sunk to the bottom of the ocean aboard the Andrea Doria, which is a cruise liner in the right. uh, in the, what the mid nineteen fifties. And it's right outside of Nantucket. Exactly. And uh, is that or is not that not true? Because you know, there's the, often this uh, you know mention of this uh, Chrysler Norseman concept vehicle, which is called an idea car at the time. Yeah. Um, did it or did it not exist? And and what are the details about this car? So. Let's dig into it. Yeah. So when we talk about this car, let's see. Uh, if we want to follow a rough timeline, we'll talk. We'll be talking about um, a couple of different players here. Uh, the, what's interesting about the Norseman is that it is kind of collaborative between a. It's a collaboration rather between Chrysler 
and a little company called Ghia. Yeah, Ghia is a uh, it's an Italian coach builder mm-hmm. in uh, I think it's Genoa, Italy. Is that right? Uh, they were started in 1915 in Turin, um, and. They eventually were absorbed by Ford. Okay, so it's uh, somewhere in Italy. It's an mm-hmm. Italian design house, mm-hmm. and um, Gia, they, it's not the first time that they had worked with Chrysler on a project. In fact, uh, Gia had worked with other manufacturers as well. I think they put together the uh, the Lincoln Futura as well. Yes, um, another tar- car that we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, I was going to say it's important, folks. Remember that it is important. Yes, but uh, it just goes all the way back to let's let's just start the uh, this timeline. How about this? We've got a like a rough. Timeline, or do you, or do you have other things you'd like to cover first? Um, well, no. You know what? Let's go ahead and dive in. We're starting in the early fifties, right? Yeah, nineteen fifty-three, okay. and that's when uh, that's when the work starts, I guess. When the uh, when the idea is hatched and the the plans are kind of finalized, and you know, it's in progress. I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to put it. In nineteen fifty-three. Now, by nineteen fifty-four, the project, which you know, this is titled the Norseman at this point, yeah. uh, was handed over to a guy named Bill Brownlee. And uh, it was handed over by someone who was uh, well known at Chrysler, and in fact, in fact, well known in the automotive industry in general. Yeah, uh, Virgil Exner. Yes, Virgil Exner, born in 1909 and passed away in 1973. During his time, he became a world-renowned, I think it's fair to say, designer and stylist. He worked for GM. He worked with Studebaker, uh, but he really started to shine at Chrysler, and he's the one who called them idea cars instead of concept cars. Yeah, and he was uh, he was hired by Chrysler to kind of jumpstart uh, their design department, their style department, because yeah. if you look at the Chryslers of the 1950s, the early 1950s, late 1940s, they had started to fall behind in the design area. They, they were not on the cutting edge uh, like they wanted to be. And so they hired Exner, and uh, that's exactly what he was doing, especially with this Norseman, which, by the way, the Norseman was named because Exner had, uh, I guess, like a Norwegian heritage. Yeah, Norwegian-American. And, yeah, so it all makes sense that, you know, he decided we're going to call this you know, project uh, the Norseman, and it's mm-hmm. going to be, uh, you know, the, my greatest project for 1956, 1957, that era. Mm-hmm. And he had, uh, he had, oh, I'm sorry, Scott, I do want to go back just a little bit. Yeah, we have to go back to 54 and 55 still, really. Right, there's been some work with Gia on some concepts, the uh, C200 concept, uh, the Chrysler K310, the DeSoto Adventurer. So they were building a relationship, these two companies, and they were they were really beginning to um, find their stride. I want to be completely honest with you here, buddy. I'm excited to talk about the car's features and the reason it was called the most automated car. I, I'm totally excited about it. And this I know car. we need to set it up. So. I, yeah, we will. We'll get to it, I promise, because I've got uh, some features as well that I think are really, really cool about this thing. I'm sure we share the same list because there's not a whole lot known about this car, really. Yeah, there's um, not too much, but we do have this rough timeline. We so, should stick to okay, it. Okay, so we're back in 1954. The project is handed off to this Bill, Bill Brownlee and, mm-hmm. uh, by Virgil Exner and, uh, and another guy named, um, who was the Chrysler styling chief at the time named Cliff Voss. Yes. Okay, so they hand this off to Brownlee, and he develops this in what they call the Imperial Studio at Chrysler. Mm. And um, the, the thing about this is they actually built models of this car here in the United States. And this is in 1955 when all this is happening here. Uh, but the scale models, mm-hmm. you know, the, the clay models that they built or, you know, wood or whatever they were, they never left the Highland Park, Michigan facility. And I, I can't go beyond this point, Ben, without just taking a little tiny sidebar here. Do you remember back when I told you about that former boss of mine that, you know, we had both worked at Highland Park for a short time? Yeah. Both of us had. 
and he had mentioned he would take walks and find, you know, corridors underground that led to places with doorways and everything. Yes, yes. Do you remember when I mentioned that he had found, you know, scale model cars in these rooms? Yeah. And drawings? No way. Are you serious? I don't know. I mean, I, how would I know that? I mean, I, he never took photos. He never, you know, did anything yeah. like that. Cause it was a long time ago. You didn't right. just have a, a You think he could have found you. it though? The, uh, I, legendary Maybe he found models a, of the Norsemen. He might have found a scale model of it. Who knows? I mean, they they were there, they existed, yeah. and they they never left Highland Park. So if it was something that they felt, you mm-hmm. know, that they needed to hold on to, it's very possible that he walked in on a room that had a scale model of this Norseman. It's neat to think about. That is so cool. So okay, man. back to the uh, the original story here. Right. Um, the, the scale model car never left Highland Park, Michigan. So how is a company in Italy? Remember, this is 1953. Right. How are they going to get the exact detailed information of of the car the vehicle to them well they used engineering drawings which you think would be great but it's there's something to being able to see the the finished product right in front of you yes because there's a much more intuitive understanding i would mm-hmm. argue of the space and the proportion uh which makes this scott i believe you were saying this off air the first car right to be created entirely by engineering drawings. Well, between these two. Between these two Between these two companies. Between Ghia and Chrysler, it was created by strictly engineering drawings. There was no scale model that they had to look at and say, this is what we want to end up with. They, they, fortunately, I guess, the translation, you know, between Chrysler and Ghia worked out really well because um, the, the model came along perfect. I mean, they they would send photos along the way yeah. of, of progress. And they had time to mail those photos because this car was not built quickly. No. They went with a slow and steady wins the race sort of approach. Uh, it took them 15 months, yeah. so more than a year. Um, and it was running late, which is important to it's our a, story. It's a complex design. It's a complex design. And remember, they're working off of drawings. This was at a cost, I believe, of... Let's see the currency in Italy at the time, uh, lira, fifty million. Oh my gosh, that sounds like an awful lot. I would guess. Can I take a guess on this? And yeah. I thought I read it somewhere, so maybe I'm not totally guessing, but yeah. I want to guess that that's somewhere in the neighborhood of like two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand U.S. dollars, something like that. That's a that's approximate for what a, a concept vehicle, a, a dream car mm-hmm. in the 1950s, early 1950s cost. Now you'd have that's not current dollars that's not 2013 dollars so you'd have to extrapolate that out to you know what what inflation has done to that but 250,000 in 1953 was a heck of a lot of money well i've got a calculation here too oh because, you do i yeah, i went yeah, into all that description the, and, uh, okay i don't want to interrupt how you. wrong how wrong was i you were you were you were completely on board with the concept a chrysler spokesperson after the calamity occurred yeah. a chrysler spokesperson pegged the cost at around 150000 hmm. Um He said it was insured, so there's that. That's a good thing. Yeah, and uh, so we ran the inflation calculator the way we like to do whenever there's a cost entered back in the golden days. So what cost 150000 in 1956? Mm-hmm. I know I'm jumping the timeline here. You ready? Ready. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, one point two, just under one point two five million dollars. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of money. Even yeah. now, that's still a lot of money. I mean, that's. Uh, I wonder how that compares to modern day mm. um, concept, concept vehicles. If they truly cost, you know, a little over a million dollars, if they're if they're more in like the ten million dollar range. Right. Know? Fifteen months. Uh, one point two five million. Let's just round it up, and yeah. then they uh, are late. 
with it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, not abnormal yeah. when you're making a brand new car. But what did they get for that? Well, see, they had this is this is an amazing car, really. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I mean, I guess I've got a whole list of things that we can yeah. go through kind of quickly if you want. Absolutely. Um, but OK, so we talked about the collaboration. We talked about, you know, who how this thing kind of was passed down between uh, management at Chrysler and who mm-hmm. went to Agia. Um, it was scheduled, the, the Norseman was scheduled to make the rounds at the 1957 auto show circuit. So this was going to be, uh, for the, pr- the following year, yeah. early on, they needed, you know, ahead of time to get it ready and everything, but it was already running late. Um, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm already off on another. How cool would it be, just mentioning the 1957 auto show circuit, how cool would it be to go back and look at the 1957 auto show circuit right now, if you knew now what you didn't know then, you know? Oh man, yes. Uh, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, I look at photos and, you know, they're just not detailed enough for me, I guess. You know, I'd love to get yeah. the full walk around of every vehicle. That'd be incredible. Let's, you know what? Let's go a little bit further in this tangent because uh, I read recently a book by Stephen King about time travel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's this, the novel is about a guy who wants to travel back in time to prevent the assassination of Kennedy. Hmm. Okay. And when he goes back, you know, this is the 60s, right? When he goes back, one thing that I became obsessed with reading that now, you know, as Stephen King gets older, his novels are just getting longer. So I have plenty of time to think about this. Um, I was thinking about the exact same kind of stuff, Scott. Can you imagine going back as a time traveler to car shows? <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. I've lost on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. 
Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, man, and all you need is some currency of the time oh, yeah. and then just buy them and hide them in a barn that you know will still be there in yeah. 2017. Some type of underground bunker or something, you know, that uh, you'd be able to retrieve them, you know, 50 years later. Uh, that would just, that would set your future. You know? This is my uh, okay. this is my foolproof scheme. Okay. Uh, all right. So we wait. keep getting derailed here. Let's right, get back right, to right, it. So right. so. The main point here, and I guess, you know, we've into the features in just one second here because right. it com- comes up right now. But this was a fully operational, drivable car, which was really unique at the time because most of these mm-hmm. uh, dream cars are just sort of bodies. Exactly. Yeah, they would just push them out on stage. And there was a reason behind that. They had the, you know, the ability to add an engine transmission in the full driveline. Um, oftentimes, the, uh, the radical designs would lead them to, you know, places that they wouldn't it wouldn't fit you know this yes. was designed with the idea that we're gonna we're gonna put a this specific motor in it this specific transmission in it and it's going to operate it's going to be a run you know running driving car like um oh, who was it i want to say harley earl was that it mm. also uh bill mitchell oh you know, those yeah guys. are you they talking would, about the great designers now they would build cars that you know ran and operated of, of course but sure. um for this one to be fully operational that was pretty that was still pretty unique for the day um, yeah and let's also consider that because it's that unique i don't mean to run over you here scott no, I don't. because uh this is a working model this is a strong indication albeit circumstantial a strong indication that had this chain of events occurred differently, mm-hmm. we would have seen a production model incorporating a lot of this, ah, nice, or some of it. Nice you know stated. I mean? Yeah, very good. Um, one of the let's just get into the features then, because uh, one of the things that this thing had that maybe is I don't know the most standout uh, visual feature. Of the thing. oh, and my least favorite part, uh, really, a frameless windshield. The yeah, the frameless windshield, yeah, it the had, cantilevered roof. It, it is. It's a cantilevered roof that that attaches only at the back. Like imagine where the C pillar would be, mm-hmm. and it was cantilevered to the front. There's really no structural support at the A pillar, other than uh, I guess there were. Um, well, there's the windshield. <laughs> well, there's the windshield, and um, as Virgil Exner explained, Exner Jr. Later mm-hmm. explained, uh, there were actually two quarter-inch diameter steel rods that held the roof in place at the front, but not in the way that you think. This is really strange. Instead of holding the roof up, the two quarter-inch rods held the roof down. There was there was upward tension oh, yeah. on the roof from the back. So if there was a rollover to occur, the rods would snap, and then the roof would spring upward instead of crushing downward. It would spring up and back. Up and back instead of crushing downward, which is kind of – that's a pretty interesting design, that I guess. Interesting. So the rods didn't hold the roof up. They held the roof down. The front rods. The yeah, rear so pillars were the primary support. I don't know if that changes your mind about it at all. I mean, I think it looks cool. Yeah, it does look and, it does look cool, but there there are no vent windows. And there a lot of people think that 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 design would have sagged, which is not the case. And if anything, it would have pulled up. Yeah, that does make me feel a little bit better about it, but still it's okay, not so my favorite thing. But you're mentioning the windows, right? While we're on the roof, while we're on the roof, I want to talk about yes, it does look really cool, the uh frameless curved windshield. Mm-hmm. But even cooler, there 
are so many features in this car. While we're on the roof, let's talk about the electrically operated sunroof. Ah, yeah, that's which really is cool. just crazy for this amount, this and, time in history. And it was big. It was yeah, a, it was big. It was a huge sunroof. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at the the roof photo of this thing, um, and there's very few photos really, right? But, uh, if you do look at the uh, at the roof photo of this thing, the sliding portion of it opens mm-hmm. up completely. I mean, it was it was like a panoramic view. You know, it was enormous, yeah. and it was such a thin roof design. It made it really stand out. I mean, it's really it's pretty incredible design for the day. It's bold, you know. Oh, very. And uh, let's see. They also had well the engine. Let's just talk about that. Two hundred thirty-five horsepower. Mm-hmm. Not bad, right? Uh, that's a Hemi V8. Uh, not bad, I guess. Not bad. You. Guess. Yeah. Well, you know, they had other options. They did. <laughs> what would you put in there? Uh, well, they mentioned that you know they they think that eventually it would have had the like the high output version of that engine which uh which would have been something like i think it was like around 340 horsepower something yeah, like that yeah. so it could have could have really been stepped up there right okay I 235 i guess i mean we'll we'll talk about the specs here if you want because yeah, it's, yeah. a, it's a big car all right so it's got two speed power flight transmission the chassis probably comes from the chrysler 300 series uh the Interestingly enough, Scott, in Chrysler's official press releases and stuff, they called the V8 a 331Ci polyspheric V8. Ah, that's a, that's a Hemi engine, right? Yeah, it's a Hemi. That's a Hemi engine. It's so, a Hemi engine. So that thing had a Hemi. And it had a single four-barrel carburetor. Okay. Got it. You want to know the uh, length and width and all that good yeah, stuff? Because, uh, because you know, when you said 235, that sounds like that's a decent amount for the day, right? Right. Um, but, but when you consider that this car was um, just under 19 feet long, Mm-hmm. Uh, it was seven feet wide, Ben. This is a, a long, wide vehicle, and about four and a half feet tall. Um, it was. It was actually. It was the second longest of the Chrysler Idea cars of that era, and so, only had four seats. It's a, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, but you know, that's really cool too. The the interior design. You can see in in some of the interior photos um, that you know the, the interior design was mm-hmm. really really interesting too. The, the yeah. rear bucket seats almost. Um, Okay, so we keep getting off track here. Oh, it also had hidden headlights. Hit, oh, yeah, hidden headlights that completely disappeared when the mm-hmm. lights were off. Um, it had fully electric power seats. I don't know if you mentioned that or not. Oh, no, good good call. And you started to mention about the uh, the door glass vent. Now, that's the little triangle vent at the front that some people really love, some people don't like it. I love it. I like them. That's, um, that's why that was one of my primary pieces of beef with this. I think those are so cool. When uh, when they added that to, to automobiles, they've been around for a long, long time, but mm-hmm. um, that, that tiny little triangle piece at the front edge of the window that opens to it let vent. It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. That's, yeah. a, that's a great feature. And um, it wasn't for about, I think it was about 10 years later, when those officially kind of went away from cars. They didn't, right. they didn't do that anymore. The triangle's still there. And, it just won't open. <laughs> and then you look at the car, and then you realize, like, okay, this this design car from, you know, this idea car from the 50s mm-hmm. looks like a mid-60s design. So it was way ahead of its time. This yeah. Is a, uh, this is a pretty radically advanced car. Also had retractable seatbelts in the front seats, which was pretty unusual for the day. That is a really good point. Um, you know, just to have lap belts to begin with in 1953, that's pretty astounding, astonishing. But to be retractable seatbelts was even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and tiny little tail fins that were also integrated to the body. So <laughs> I think I've got all those features out. So. so those are a lot of great features. And now that we have told everybody about how swell this car is, maybe it's time to tell everyone why... Uh, you don't know anyone who owns a Norseman. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the really unfortunate part of this whole story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, there's 
There's just no way to get around this. This is a this is a bad ending for this vehicle. Yeah, um, we need some we need some like sea shanty shipwreck yeah, music. Yeah, and we have to go back to 1955 um, right. to, to really kind of describe where this whole chain of events that leads up to this started. So it's um, spo- it's 1955. Yeah, and the Norseman is uh, scheduled to be one of the big tent attractions of the 1957 auto show circuit. Yeah. Okay. So in 1955, um, and Breaching into 1956, I guess, is probably the best way to say this because, yeah. um, you know, the car should have been done a month ahead of time, month a month ahead of this. So um, it was supposed to be delivered around May, late May or early June of 1956. Right. And um, it was more than a month late uh, when it was finally loaded onto a, um, an Italian passenger liner. On uh, July 17th, 1956, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, that passenger liner was the SS Andrea Doria. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together, we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been juicy. It would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. 
Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And just a few days later, on July 25th, 1956, Andrea Doria is heading to New York, and uh, they're uh, around 40 miles off the coast of Nantucket mm-hmm. when, boom, the SS Andrea Nor- uh, Doria collides with the MS Stockholm. Uh, they're in thick fog. The Stockholm's a Swedish passenger ship leaving New York. Out of 2,500 people, only uh, 53 Perished. Yeah, 46 of those were on the Andrea Doria. Right. And the remainder were on the Stockholm. Now, the Stockholm was also an ice-breaking uh, – it had an ice-breaking prow on it, I should say. Right. Uh, that it just sliced right into the the, uh, the edge of – or the, the side of the Andrea Doria and, and it right into, apparently, the garage area where the Norseman was located. Uh, it turns out that didn't necessarily matter a whole lot in, in the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, the ship did go down about uh, – took about a day, right? It floundered for about a day on its yeah, side. Yeah, it, it floundered for more than 10 hours. Which and allowed a good deal of rescue effort because, um, mm-hmm. you know, overall, from just the Andrea Doria, there were like something like 1,660 people that were rescued, mm-hmm. uh, but all the cargo was lost. In that. Yeah, they didn't have time to take all the cargo, mm-hmm. and this meant that all the now the Norseman was by no means the only car on this vessel. No, there were several. There's it fact. was specially packed, which did make a little bit of a difference. But the Andrea Doria eventually sank just there, about forty miles off the coast, and went over seventy-two meters into the water. Yeah, it's like it's like two hundred twenty-five feet down. So it's a it's a long way down mm-hmm. um, into the uh, the cold Atlantic there. But, um, you know, something else kind of interesting was happening at the same time, Ben. I don't know if you uh, read in, into this or not, but um, mid, mid-progress mid across the Atlantic, I guess, uh, when when um, all this was happening. So remember, it was loaded on the 17th. Yep. It was about – and it didn't – it was scheduled to arrive on, I think it was um, – what was it? July 26th. Right, yes. The day it was supposed to arrive, and that was actually the day it sank. Um, but on July 23rd, just three days earlier – uh, Virgil Exner had a, he suffered a near fatal heart attack. Yep. And, uh, had nothing to do, cause, you know, the, the wreck hadn't happened. It wasn't like a jolt, you know, shock to his, you know, system. He wasn't surprised by the news or anything. Right. It was just bad timing. Just bad. I mean, extremely bad timing that, um, he suffered this, this horrible near fatal heart attack and had to have open heart surgery. Survived. So he, yeah. Survived. He's in the hospital and, uh, you know, it was a couple of days later. Um, you know, he knew about the rack, of course. You know, well, they didn't tell him at first. Well, he's laying in the uh, in his uh, his hospital bed, um, and I'm sure that you know the news is making its way to him. But right. they did, but they did tell him finally um, in his hospital bed. His wife and his son came to him and said, uh, "You know, Dad, I got some bad news about the uh, about the Norseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went down with the ship." And it's just kind of an odd thing that, you know, he's, he's laying in his hospital bed when he gets the news about this project that's been going on for years and years and years, and he's looking forward to it, you know, to seeing it for the first time. He hasn't seen it, really. Yeah, 1956 is a rough year. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he, he gets this news, and uh, honestly, he it seems like he's okay with it, because according to his son, he said, he said that's neat. One of my cars went down in a big, famous shipwreck. It's like it was going to be immortal at that point, right? Which sounds to me, when I initially read that, as though someone was on painkillers. Okay, I understand what you're not, saying. Not to be cynical, but you know maybe that's what happens when you when you narrowly survive something. You have to have open heart surgery. 
your philosophy changes. I understand. I get I get what you're saying, but um, also when you read that, you know, his uh, as according to to Virgil Exner Jr., he said that his dad was kind of romantically inclined like that. Like he right. would, he was he was actually kind of excited by the idea that. His vehicle, his uh, his Norseman, mm-hmm. was going to be forever remembered as the the uh, the idea car that sunk with the uh, the Andrea Doria forever. You know, to be forever held in this uh, this watery grave. You know that kind of thing. He's a poetic dude. I, he really was. I and, respect you know, that. I, I do too. I think that was kind of a that was a, a stand up reaction by him. I think. Yeah, that was all class. I mean, he could have been irate. You know, he could have just been uh, breaking stuff and you know whatever. I mean, just been <laughs> you know flown off the hook. And um, I've got the press release here for that Chrysler originally put yeah, out. because Chrysler had to somehow explain mm-hmm. that they're not going to have an idea car for the 1957 auto show circuit. How, how do they do that? So they do it with this. Idea car lost on Andrea Doria. Detroit, July 26, 1956. A revolutionary new Chrysler Corporation idea car being shipped from Italy to the United States for its public debut was lost today in the sinking of the Italian liner Andrea Doria. Chrysler was advised by its New York shipping agent that since the ship went down in some 200 feet of water, the car must be considered a complete loss. The car was covered by insurance. Nice. 1957 Newsman Read as well. Is that? Oh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got, I actually do have a 50s voice, but I'm not using it because I don't want to embarrass us oh, thanks on for the air. Taking us there anyways. I appreciate but, it. So, uh, so it, there it, it remained. And it's not the final chapter though. No, no it there's, is not. There's quite a bit more that it goes on with this car, but mm-hmm. the, it, there's a long gap. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the ship is gone. The car is considered lost, you know, and, you know, honestly, Ben, due to, um, and I, I think that, had there been some more advanced methods of retrieving this, yeah, in the, recovery in methods. the day in the day back in 1956, I believe they would have attempted to bring this thing to the surface immediately. I, I think that it was something that, that Chrysler or somebody would have gone after right away, but it just couldn't be done at the time. There, there just wasn't the technology. Mm-hmm. However, now there is, and some people have actually thought about this and uh, and actually made some moves to kind of start that process to to resurface the Norseman. Yes, there were divers who reached the wreckage the day after the collision, Mm -hmm. um, and they came back with photographs, and they sold those to Life magazine. Oh. And there were other people who dived into uh, the wreckage to, I don't want to say loot, but to uh, investigate. Ah, they're grabbing some souvenirs. Yeah, a little bit of jewelry, you know, maybe see, see what, maybe see if there's any fancy stuff. Some modern day treasure hunters. Is what modern day, yeah, okay. that's a very nice way to say it. And then the way that we left this before, before the newest turn of events was, uh, here's, here's his name, was, uh, in the nineties, 1990s, David Bright, um, an explorer, a diver, uh, he's down near the wreckage. He's looking for a lost diver. And he sees the Norseman for himself hmm, in the okay. cargo hold. And he notes that this is uh, David Bright writing here. Normally, all passenger cars were placed in the garage section of the Doria. Uh, that's slightly aft of the collision point where, as we said, the Stockholm uh, knocked the Doria underneath the bowing bridge. Uh, these cars would have been placed in Doria by use of a crane parked in the garage arranged for stability. Mm-hmm. However, the Norseman was no passenger vehicle, so it was specially packed, treated with extra care, wooden crate, put in the number two cargo area. Hmm, okay. When he sees it, and keep in mind, he's the last person really got to look at it at that point. In the 90s. In the 90s. So okay. decades later. Mm-hmm. The crate had disintegrated. The car was in very, very poor condition. Salt water invaded the metal. Most of the car's rust, corrosion, and a heap of indistinguishable junk. 
the tires are still there. And that's how they were able to identify it. The same way that, not to be morbid, the same way that they would identify people in a horrible tragedy sure. by their teeth or something. Yeah, sure. Whatever's left, right? Yeah. Okay, we've got to jump forward then. Yes. To um, there's a, there's actually an article about this. If if anybody wants to read more about it, uh, from the uh, the Hemmings Classic Car blog, I think it was in July of 2006. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh huh. They had a feature on a guy named Joe Bortz, and Joe Bortz is from Highland Park, Illinois. Uh, he's a restaurant nightclub developer, and he's the owner of something that is called the Bortz Auto Collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can check that on online. I've already looked at that. It's pretty impressive. Um, at the time, he had about twenty dream cars. Ben, he owns dream cars from you know from the past. You know these old old uh, relic cars that are worth quite a bit of money. He picked them up for very very little money, but just as an example, like he had a nineteen fifty four. Oldsmobile F88, uh, which was a concept car, that mm-hmm. sold for $3.24 million. And another one from 1954, a Bonneville Special, uh, another Pontiac, or rather Pontiac, that sold for about $3 million. So his collection is worth an awful lot of money at this yeah. point. Uh, wow. He, at some party apparently, overheard somebody talking about the Norseman, or heard the rumors about it, I think. Right. Yeah, that's it. He heard the rumors somewhere else, um, decided that... You know, maybe we can get that thing out of there at this point. You know, this is mid-2000s. You know, we've got to have some kind of technology to do it. Right. Well, I guess he was at some type of party in, in Chicago. A soiree. Yeah, perhaps. exactly. And uh, he actually agreed to pay a guy, uh, already at this point, had agreed to pay a diver something like $20,000 to go look for the car and to, de- to determine how best to get this thing out of there. Because he was already underway, knowing that you know, it was going to cost him probably... Half a million bucks to get this thing out. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe more. Yeah. Uh, But at this party, he talked to a chemist. And this chemist, who was a professor at a university, I guess, uh, described to him. And he told him his plan. And the chemist said, you might as well abandon that plan. Because after this point, you know, that we're talking like now it's 57 years later. Mm -hmm. But um, at that point, I, I don't know how what what era or what year exactly it was. But he said that at this point, the only thing left would be like the engine block. You know, some of the bigger chunks of metal, the tires, like you had mentioned. Because of the corrosion. And right? the glass, maybe. Maybe the glass. The glass might be intact, might not be. Depends on how violent, you know, it hit the ground when it when it went down. Um, so, in other words, Quest abandoned at that point. There's um, nothing to say. He gave it up. No, and this guy, this uh, this sports guy, um, there's an Auto Week article from 1990 that I found. Mm-hmm. And he found four of GM's Motorama Dream Cars from the 1950s in a, in a Detroit area salvage yard that had just been sitting out in the open rotting away. What? He found them and they, he bought them for, you know, just a song, nothing. And they were spotted originally by some, like, this is so weird. A Ford engineer was flying overhead in a helicopter, looked down into the salvage yard, spotted these, or spotted a Motorama car, mm-hmm. an unusual car that was sitting out in the middle of a field somewhere in this this salvage yard, and then when when uh, he notified or Joe Bortz heard about this, he went to look into it. You know, it's right there next to the GM Tech Center, which is north of Detroit, and the salvage yard is. And when he went there, he he started looking around and he realized there are three other. GM Motorama cars from the 1950s there that were just rotting away. So he bought all four of them, mm-hmm. brought them back, restored them, and now, you know, these are the uh, the $4 million cars that we're talking about. That's pretty crazy. Amazing, isn't it? But they're out yeah. there to be had if you know what you're looking for. We have to get to a junkyard. It's incredible. But before we get to a junkyard, we should tell the very last twist of this story so yeah. far. Finally. Yeah. Uh, Marty Martino 
Who is he? What's he doing? Why did he come up? He, this is this guy. He's he's somewhere in Virginia. That's all they'll say, right? Yeah. I don't know where he is. I mean, maybe there's more detailed information about him. But from the uh, the account that I heard, mm-hmm. this Marty Martino is a guy that he builds accurate, very accurate recreations of lost concept cars. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting right there, lost concept cars. Yeah, we're talking – when we say uh, very accurate, we're talking uh, – what's the word? Verisimilitude? Yeah. This uh, may as well be the same thing. Well, yeah, he does them with different materials. He, well, at times necessity demands that. But one of my favorite facts about this guy, and you pointed out this guy when we were doing some of this research, uh, one of my favorite facts about him is that the Kennedy replica, uh, yeah. the Kennedy vehicles he built were so good that it's been used in what? Every Kennedy movie. That's what he basically. claims. He says he says that car is used in every Kennedy movie ever since. You know the uh, the sixty one <laughs> Continental X one hundred. The original, the the true car is on display at the Henry Ford in Michigan. This is the one that they use for the movies, yes. and it's so accurate that it's used in all the films. So um, he's a, he's a great builder. He's a he's a custom car builder. He's been doing it for decades. Right. Um, learned his trade um, in fiberglass work when he was a boat builder. Um, and eventually he built a Batmobile for a Z-Bark commercial that starred Adam West. So you can get an idea that, you know, this is pretty authentic, right? Right. Well, as you know, the Batmobile was based on the uh, Lincoln Futura, mm-hmm. uh, which was a 1955 concept vehicle or dream car, idea car. And we mentioned that one earlier. Also lost because the only one of its kind, you know, the, the, the actual show car, which cost $250,000 to build, uh, was sold to George Barris, you know, who created the Batmobile out of it. It was sold to him for one dollar, mm-hmm. you know, back in uh, when it late 1950s after it had made the the show circuit. So, in other words, there is no Lincoln Futura from 1955 left over. It's right. the original Batmobile. Batmobile that George Barris created. He heavily modified it. You know, obviously it wasn't worth <laughs> anything to GM at the time. Sure, uh, but now. You know, to to have that car again, he's building a recreation, and he's also building a Chrysler Norseman. Yes, and he is also building another one, a Pontiac Club de Mer, which I had never heard of. But it, mm-hmm. you know, all recreations, all very well done. You can check out uh, Marty Martino's work online if you want. Very- now we haven't had too much recent news about uh, Marty, but we are looking forward to it. So if you've heard something about some of the work that uh, he's done, we would love to see a completed recreation. Oh, very much, yeah. Of, of the Norseman. Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the Pontiac at the time was pretty close to being done. So right, it's... but the, the Norseman, if you if you check for his Norseman work, what you're probably going to see are some panel pieces at this point. Yeah, he's got entire sides of the vehicle done mm-hmm. that are kind of sitting on two-by-four stands, you know, that are created uh, recreated out of fiberglass, I believe. Yes. But very well done, and I think they're pretty accurate in the color of the vehicle, too, because it was kind of a green color. Let's see what what do we got coming up, Scott? That's all I have on the Norseman. Yeah, North. same here. I'm. Uh, I, I think I think we've pretty much extinguished this thing. But the uh, the legend. So you know, just to wrap it up, I guess the uh, the verdict on this legend is that it's absolutely true. The Norseman did go down with the Andrea Doria. Mm-hmm. It's still down there for anybody yeah. who would uh, care to go take a look at what's left. Pieces of it are down. You can dive down there if you dive down to that depth. You probably have about 20 minutes to look around the wreck and explore. It's going to take you 90 minutes uh, to come up safely without getting the bends. Wow. Okay. Stuff like that. So is it worth it? Is a trip out there for that type of thing worth it? I think maybe because uh, so, well, you know what? It's an it's adventure. A, it's a pile of rust at this point. I mean, literally like dust. 
Yeah, yeah it's us. more about the but, journey of this but one. But so few photographs were ever even taken of this thing because of that, that production rush in 1956. You know, they're trying mm-hmm. to get on the boat of the finished vehicle, you know, when it was, from when it was finished to when it sank. Very few people ever saw this car in person, even the people that designed it, which is really, yeah. really unusual and had to been just terribly frustrating for Can them. you imagine you send off the drawings to Italy and you never see the car? And it's done and you see the progress of it and then you, you get ne- photographs and yeah. you never get to see the final product. That would have been so frustrating to me. And so it's just an open end, you know? Yeah. It's never, never closed. I'd also like to recommend some listener mail to you, Scott. Sounds good. All right, Scott, so Jason from Yellow Springs, Ohio, writes to us and says, Hi, Scott and Ben, I just listened to the podcast called From the Ground to the Gas Pump, and on it you mentioned how while you're standing at the gas pump, it occurred to you how much of the pump itself is made from oil. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, I've had similar thoughts myself, says Jason. Uh, Consider, if you will, how much of the car you're filling up is made from oil, including all the plastic, tires, lubricants, and fabric. Even some of the fabric you may be wearing is made from petroleum byproducts. You might also consider all of the petroleum that is used to run the factories that produce the raw materials for the products that go into your car and the distribution and delivery of the products themselves. That's a great point, but this is something kind of unrelated. It's a nice segue. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist, says Jason, and even the acrylic paints that I use are made from plastic, which is a petroleum byproduct. P.S. Shameless plug. Feel free to give out my website if you wish, and I'm going to do it. It's uh, www.jasonmorganportraits.com. Uh, I checked out some of his portraits. It's really impressive stuff. You know, I did the same. I went right to the uh, to the motorcycle gallery. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and checked out some of those. Those are really cool. Some those of the owner really owners well and their done. motorcycles. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's very well done. So uh, so good good job. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's an interesting thought about the uh, about the petroleum products and how much of that surrounds us all the time, everywhere that you go. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, it, the email reminds me of Inception. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, because it seems like we're going deeper. Consider the factories that make the products. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're surrounded by petroleum products right now in our in our studio. We've got foam blocks on the wall for sound insulation, and uh, I mean the clothes that we wear, the, the yeah. chairs that we're sitting in, everything. It's amazing. This studio is pretty creepy though, too. Compared to, <laughs> compared to our older one. You got that right. Um, all right, so we're going to, speaking of creepy studios, why don't we uh, skedaddle out of this one now that we have proven the legend of the Lost Norseman. Yeah, that's right. What a cool legend, huh? Yeah, and we want to hear from you. Uh, if you have a missing car that you'd like to hear more about, drop us a line on Facebook. You can also drop us a line on Twitter, and we'd love to hear from people with any suggestions for upcoming topics. You can also send us an email. That's right. We still do old-fashioned email. Our web address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.